Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Paula Price Show, where you can experience scripturally organic, culturally unmodified teaching, get answers to your questions, and receive powerful prayer from your host, Dr. Paula Price, author of The Prophet's Dictionary. Tune in now and get ready for an exciting time of encouragement and transformation. Welcome your host, Dr. Paula Price. Well, welcome, welcome everybody to the one and only Jesus and Paula show featuring Jesus and Dr. Paula Price. So we thank you all for tuning in and choosing to spend your morning, your lunch hour, your brief moment, your little sneak artwork uh, with us today. We're so excited about what Dr. Price is going to bring. And I'm just, you know, looking forward to seeing what's going to mushroom out of everything that you're going to receive today. Top stories here in the Paula Price universe. Top story number one, if you have not caught the Apocalyptic Elect series, you are falling behind. Oh, my goodness. This week, oh, Jesus, I'm surprised we're still standing. Are you still standing? If you watch that show, my goodness, you had to literally, like, sew your hair down, sew your life back together. You had to bring your soul in. She gave a powerful, powerful prophecy on Monday night about what God was doing okay, in the world right now, and, and particularly in the church and in our homes. She talked a lot about marriage and uh, ministry, okay? It was uh, not as um, succinct as that, praise God. <clears throat> We're just going to be real with it today. But she did talk about the idols of marriage and ministry in the home and how God was going to be dealing with that and judging that, dealing with husbands about wives, wives about husbands, their conflict with God about ministry, and how he needed to set something straight. If you did not catch that apocalyptic broadcast, then you are missing out. So make sure you catch up on the series this week because that prophetic word was so powerful. It etched, a, you know, it etched something in you. You know when the word comes forth from God and he wants you to remember it because it etches something in your soul. You cannot leave that behind. So that won't be a leave behind this week. And, of course, she introduced the start of where we're going to be going uh, in, her, in the next part of the series, dealing with walking through each one of God's uh, mighty ones and high elect that were chosen for him in those eras, okay, to be his apostolic and apocalyptic sovereigns of that time. So we'll be walking through that series with you all. That's going to be amazing, okay? Absolutely amazing, because now you'll get a, a breakdown of how the gutting and vetting experience happened for those in Scripture, so that you can have a Scripture trail for this. What I love about Dr. Price is nothing is just experiential. 
she doesn't just bring her private experience to you, share it with you as a public, and then get your buy-in and, and make you crave that same experience. She walks you through God's mind. She walks you through God's word, and she helps you establish where God is in it, in the season, in your life, and in the kingdom. I love that because apostles established. And so they always are going to not just bring a word to you. They're going to bring a dispensation. They're going to bring an establishment, and that's what she's been doing through the, out the whole apocalyptic series, first of all. But in this gutty thing that affects us all, praise God, she's been establishing some things to let us know exactly what we need to expect in this era from the mind of God, from the ways of God, and most of all, from the fruit. Because we often, in a lot of, a lot of movements, we don't often get fruit. Now, they gave us this great experience. They've been dying, such, you know, near death, went to heaven, saw something, and all this kind of stuff. And they, and they share it with us. They get us all out there. And we have no idea what the fruit of that experience is really supposed to be, other than us craving one of our own and not sure why we would need it. It's not tied to divine purpose. It's not tied to divine destiny. It's not tied to anything of that nature. Just I had an encounter, and I want to show you that God speaks to me and says great things. This is not that with the gutting experience. She has made that plain throughout the apocalyptic teaching. This is not that. Okay. Woo. This is a visitation, not necessarily an encounter. I don't know how many of you guys were around when Dr. Price actually did a teaching on what visitation actually means. Because the, I, if you were like me, I was kind of like, you know, one of those colloquial users of the term visitation. That means that God's going to show up in your room. You're going to have an intense prayer time. There's going to be visions and dreams and raptures in his sight. You know, it was going to be all of that. Well, did y'all think visitation was about that? Uh, Prophet Pat, you're here. Do you remember the visitation, how she corrected us? And, shut, and now when I hear that word, I want to stir it. <laughs> because she gave us a etymological, biblical, Hebrew-Greek breakdown of visitation. And what we discovered about the word visitation is that it actually doesn't mean God's going to come and talk with you and share his heart with you. It actually means inspection, assessment, measurement, qualification, validation, i.e. gutting, and they. And this is before we got into this series. Is it true? So before we got into the gutting and vetting series, she told us what, uh, what to expect in a visitation that it was God going through and inspecting the fruit and the work that he's done to you. She said the fruit of the handiwork, okay, he's done all of those years. So when God's ready to move you to the next dimension, the next place, the first thing he does is come and inspect what he's already done and how that's bearing fruit to him in your life and bearing fruit to the kingdom. So there is no promotion without a visitation. She's going to show us in Scripture how there is no promotion without that visitation. God inspects all of his fruit. We do love that passage where we talk about how he'll be the pruner. He's going to cut it off and throw it into the fire. Well, welcome to the visitation, guys. That's what a visitation is. Jesus pruning his tree, okay, cutting it off and throwing it into the fire. So he goes in and starts saying, but this is not working, that's not working, this isn't functional, this can stay, this cannot. So that's the visitation season. So when we talk about our, it's our hour of visitation, that means it's our hour to say uh, this is the fruit of our work, that we got stubble, we got hay, we got fire. What do we have? What can we present to him in the hour of visitation? So the Lord is visiting his kingdom, he's visiting his people, and we need understanding to know how to push those things, uh, uh, not even push, but present those things before God, and even understand what he's doing. I like the fact that she's broken up 
these things, the visitation into stages. Who knew that a visitation had stages? Did anybody? Okay. So she's breaking down in the theory the visit, the stages of the visitation. So are we ready? Yes. Well, I wanted to jump in sure, on that. Jump in. Um, first of all, I'm excited about having Chief Prophet Kitchen. She's filling in for Apostle Ashley, who is getting some much needed. Well, no, it's not enough for a vacation. Okay, it's not. Okay. okay. It's a, no, it's a breakcation. A break. <laughs> see, see, we need a, see, when it, if it's under three days, it's a breakcation. We just get the break. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. Break. Um, but we have been taught that visitation is all about worship. It's almost like God just takes you aside and you get to worship him more, and you get to get your questions answered. You get some, maybe some fresh oil for what you don't know. But when you read the, um, and I believe I have it in the uh, prophet's dictionary, when you read that, high powers don't get a worship track. Because we don't need you to come back as a high power, not understanding what God is doing or not being ready for the next wave. You you move your high powers aside for the next wave, for the next era, for the next negative plan. You take them aside. Businesses do it all the time. You know, we say, like, for example, what we call a conference and what God calls a conference, that's not the same thing. When God calls a conference, it is conferring. That conferring means exchanging and transmitting. So I'm going to confer this power on you. I'm going to confer this this decision on you or this position. We call a conference us running around with a preacher sign, a talker sign, a a, a sayer sign, a not a sign, a dancer sign, but it's a sign. (laughs) And we don't expect anything great to come out of it. We expect an experience. We don't expect endowment because endowment is at the end of training. It's at the end of readiness. It's at the end of preparation. So we, and again, household stronghold. So at the end, you get your you get your uniform. At the end, you get your brass. At the end, you get your your marching orders. At the end, you get your title. At the end, we give everybody everything first. Because we don't expect them to do anything with it, and they, we expect less to come out of it. That is why you can be commissioned as ad hoc in a church service with somebody running around with a sword and nobody knowing what you can do. You can be commissioned with no proof. You can be ordained with no proof. You, you, I, I, I watch, and it is talk. I mean, if we think if the more elaborate we make it, the longer the ceremony, the more people we have speak and show up. We think all of that validates all of that. We think that. We think, you know, it's because we, you have no proof. You don't have to stand there and say why you're being commissioned. They just need to know how you're being commissioned. You don't have to say what you're ready for. You don't have to de- declare your realm, your sphere, your whatever. You don't have to show your documentation. You don't have to show credentials. As far as they're concerned, the, 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 uh, the acts and the enactment of the people who are going through the ceremony is your credential. Ceremonies don't credential. Ceremonies verify. 
So we do it and, and because everything Christ, with the, the church, especially the leaders that have gone before us, everything Christ is brought all the way down to the casual mortality, feebleness, and inability of the people being elevated. So, you know, when we, for example, when the church wants to do something, they get the short yellow bus. When the world wants to do it, we get a fleet. We get the bullet train. So the church, the church has been short-busting its ministers and short-busting its officials for ages, and they're excited, and then they, apologize. they don't even apologize. They explain it away. That's why you have churches, Christian churches, that tell, tell kids you can't fail. That kid is getting F's in school up the front, has been cut from the team, cut from that, and you keep saying you can't fail Jesus. So you are literally culturizing a failure, a kid that will never make it because you told them it's okay not to give their best, because you told them not to try hard, because to you their tears were more important than their future. See, parents, as a parent, you raise your children for your past, their present, or God's future. You have to decide where your kids have to end up in life. Because childhood is a very short window. And we do that in the church. We give you a three-day training, a weekend training. We give you a four-hour seminar in which you just sit down and take notes as you see. Half of them won't even give you a lesson plan or a syllabi or a PowerPoint to walk you through. No reiteration, no practice. All you got to do is just sit there and take it in. They know what they take you see here, take it in. Because some things are taught, but, but most things are caught. And we do all of that. You know why? Because Jesus is not real. His kingdom is not real, and your service to him is a lollipop vanity experience. Because what you take serious, you take and put yourself through severe paces for. You are walking, we walk around proud of our degrees. Yeah, I can stand up, stay up six weeks in a row. I can run down the street and knock on all of these doors, and you brag about it. We put people in pop and position with no bragging rights. Nothing to brag about what they did for God. Nothing to say. All they brag about is their trials. Yeah, because the Lord tried me. I lost my car. I lost my wife. I lost. Baby, you were going to do that anyway. In this world, that was going to happen. How does that translate to you being an effective and potent minister that the Lord Jesus can try, the Lord Jesus can rely on? And you're okay with failing God. What bothers me about this church is they have rewrote the constitution of the kingdom to say it is okay to fail God. We have a new constitution. Jesus is not that serious. Satan is more serious. You got preachers talking about, yes, Satan got his stuff together more than us, and you are happy about that. You're happy. You put that on tape, on recording, on internet. You're pleased to say that. How sad. And yet you want to, I need to know why you got a church. You need to just get yourself a bar, a club, a bathhouse, and you're ready to go to hell. Because clearly, there is nothing about this man that makes that should make you want to spend forever with him when you think his adversary, who failed in every attempt to take him out, has it more together than he does. That is pathetic. And I've heard preachers stand there and say it. And I used to think that with those who said it were real preachers, and I realized they were preachers of Satan. Because whom you glorify, your deity. 
We glorify that. You stand up there preaching, strutting in raggedy jeans, talking about this is Jesus. No, that's safe. That's safe because he said we're moths don't eat. Raggedy jeans means moths eating in God's world. Because what do moths do? They eat your clothes. They fray your clothes. They shred your clothes. He said you want to go where moths don't eat. So if moth has, if the spirit of moth, the spirit of decay, an insect, a bug, whatever you want to call it, you wear your raggedy jeans in front of Jesus Christ because you don't think Jesus is worth the best. You bought Satan's lie that it is real okay to be raggedy and trashy in front of him so that the world won't think that you really belong to Jesus Christ and they won't be discomforted about your salvation. Everything in the church is about not discomforting the sinner with our salvation. That's why you got piercings and tattoos, because you have to act like the world so that you can win the world. Can you imagine how many cops keep their jobs acting like the criminals to win the criminals? We don't want them to be uncomfortable. I sat around the table with leaders from all over the country talking about, yeah, but well, we, can't, we can't make them feel upset about the gospel. I was thinking, then you're not saved. Because the gospel is meant to be upset. It's meant to kill Satan's work. It's meant to kill Satan's seed. The gospel is meant to break the power of sin. How in the world they supposed to cry? You know, the people can just sit there. I mean, and there are countries where you can't preach the gospel, gospel because people might cry. So they can cry in their boots, but they can't cry for their souls. They can cry as a drug addict. They can try, cry as a broken heart. They can cry over their broken heart. They can cry over everything. But they cannot cry for their soul. I don't know about you. I'm trying to say I don't know about you, but I'm trying to say this here, this is some trashy Christianity. And we're all excited. You all come up in church all pierced up for other deities, and you call that liberty? No. No, that's just anonymous slavery. You don't know what spirit moved you to do it. And so that spirit is working in your life anonymously. And we got a, a lot of anonymous, anonymous casters sitting in the church. Everything is about freeing you and binding Christ. We bind Jesus. He's legalistic. We bind Jesus because he doesn't have a preference. We bind Jesus because he doesn't care. He shouldn't care because he's not here and Satan is. We bind Jesus because people have a problem with him. They should have a problem with him. They're a defective product. That he's trying to fix. But see, you what you get from what you get from most of these messengers is scripture quoting, and they, nobody even asks. So what does that mean? How does that look? What is that going to look like? How, nobody asks. They don't care about what it means, how it's going to look. What they care about is that that, that the feeling they have. So they do that skin deep gospel. Feel good, so you know, might as well be lotion off the shelf. I'm going to lotion myself down with the scripture. So your skin is soft. I told y'all, gutted changes you, and it makes you a different person. A lot of people are trying to tell me they're gutted, and I'm looking listening to the sermons they're preaching after the gutted, and that they were preaching before the gutted, and I can't find a difference. 
I can't find a deeper revelation of Richard Truth. I can't find it. Can you find it? I can't find it. When you got to go through a process, go through the process, and all you came back with some, is some grease on your skin. That's why everything is about their life. It's about external softening. Not internal transformation. You're saying the one that God told me two things he hates. I'm telling you, the man hates it. You all, and don't take my word for it. If you're really Christ, go to him. I tell my people that when they stuck on a question and I give them the word and I give them the doctrine and they still stuck, I say, well, if Jesus is in you, go talk to him. And if he's not, go get saved. Because <laughs> what's the use of having Jesus in you and you can't get saved? That's like having a pacemaker that doesn't give a readout. Don't I need that? If you're going to be in my body, should I give it? You want to say something? We got Jesus on the inside, and, and, and you got dead silence, dead air, on white noise. Because to you, theology has no technology. And if it has no technology, then it has no standards. It has no criteria. It has no correctors. It has no identifiers or alerts. I say to people all the time, and, and you can tell that whatever this, this because this is the pastoral stronghold. This is not the prophet's stronghold. That's why people are okay sitting in God's congregations, doing anything, looking any way, saying any way, feeling, fondling, and carrying on. Y'all do it. They don't fondle up again. I remember being at ORU in the 80s on the game. Uh-uh. You didn't do it before you got here. You need to put that thing on hold till you get home. That's why you say rent. <laughs> Uh, baby, we're not running a porn film here. So we don't do porny stuff at all. Because that's not about your love. That's about making others envy. That's about the devils that are moving you, making people feel lustful and inferior and insecure. Don't you wish you had that? If I got to do it in public, I don't wish I had. Because anything public is insignificant. Because the good stuff is always in front. Public is the temptation. That's why they say, don't you? You ever look at people who are, who are doing that and look in their eyes? They look like a 12-year-old, 15-year-old saying, don't you wish this was you? Look what I can do. Look in their eyes. Don't look at what all Don't look at that. Look in their eyes and you're going to see that juvenile that wants everybody to see they got somebody. And don't you wish you were you? I mean, you need to do that in the club. You need to do that in your pubs and your stuff. Don't need to, you know, that's why they call it the pub. You start off the pub. Look how. <laughs> Which one they want? You hit that? I hit this? And he's growling and groaning in your spirit, and you don't know why. 
You remember when you and God first got saved, you all were close. He inhaled, you exhaled. You exhaled, he inhaled. And you remember those. You remember when you had dreams and your journals were full and it was prolific. It was really great. You remember those times. You remember the prophecies that God told you. You're going to be this and you're going to be that. What you don't remember is what he meant was after you learned me. Peter said after you suffer for a while. And we think that suffering is just diseases and heartaches and whatnot. But that suffering is also learning to deny yourself. Learning to shred and, and, and shed everything the world, everything you brought to Jesus Christ. God did not send you to Jesus Christ and get Satan a seat in his church. But that's what you ended up. So you went to church, and before, when it was just you and God, you had to fear the Lord. Oh, no, the Lord told me I can't do that. Oh, no, oh, I can't do that. Oh, no, that's not God for me. You, I mean, and if God said get up and get three glasses of milk in a row, you'd get them and drink them. But then you went to church. And when you went to the church, you found out some things. You found out that maybe you uh, no, they named you legalistic and religious. Now, can you imagine telling the judge he's legalistic? He's going to say, try these, try these 10 years off the side. <laughs> She's going to tell you, well, why don't we do this? Why don't we take away all of this stuff? Okay? No, you wouldn't say that, but you, but they learned it. Okay, so they tell you you're legalistic. I used to laugh when they told me that, because you know, I was always a little bit strange. You didn't know that. <laughs> Mama's telling the truth now four times. I, and so when they would tell me I'm legalistic, I'm, uh, this is what I say. You said, as opposed to lawless? And they said, well, I don't mean lawless. You either mean lawless or lawful. You mean legal or illegal. There's no middle of the road on this. I need to know what pieces of this, of my righteousness, are illegal for your church. See, with all of these things you struggled with, you knew it was wrong, but you had no answers. You had nothing to come back with. They told me, I was, you, you are religious. And you know what I say? As opposed to that religious? Says but you got to read and learn. That's why you need to go to school. That's why you need Bible because you need words to say, words to express your, what God is saying to you on the inside. You don't know how to answer. What do I say? So then, you know, they got around that, you know, Paul Price is legalistic. And I thought, well, it's running around heaven that you all are illegal. So both our worlds are making a statement. Heaven talks about your illegality all the time. Let me start talking about well, you're just religious because you're you're covered, your boobs aren't bouncing, your butt's not showing, you're you're wearing your your, your thong is not riding up over your skirt so that the guy behind you get a chance to have an idea of a little porn after service. Come on. See, because that's pornographic. So we have pornography in the church. Your short outfit, your short skirt, your see-through, because you think you're running through the, the tulip with some uh, some commercial glasses. You want the light to show your thigh. See, because see, I'm a woman, and I did all of that horse stuff. That is poor dumb. That's when God says poor dumb, go to your closet. Is that right? When he says poor dumb, go to 
taking this up. Happy y'all never read Proverbs 7 where he talks about the attire of a harlot. So we got harlots in God's church. And preachers are loving it because they like sin. Like you coming through the aisle, dancing and just don't bounce in the They like that. Those are porn preachers. So that's why they're okay in porn. Why are you, why are you okay in porn? This is New Testament. They put all of that soft language in there so you don't know what the original says. When you have men with a tight this and a tight that, they call that man a pornographer in Scripture. Paul did it. So there, we're sitting here having, you know, you're, all, you're doing all of your freedom, and you don't understand that they're selling you freedom from Christ. They're selling you freedom from Jesus Christ. Y'all need to catch that. You think it's freedom to be yourself in Jesus. When Jesus condemned all of that, he nailed it to the cross. And he said the handwriting against us was literally the heaven's judgment on our habits, our practices, and our purposes. And that judgment was working because God didn't institute that. God didn't start that. That all began when the sons of God kept not their first estate and married the daughters of men. And they taught them. They taught them all of the things that a culture today. They taught them how to, how to make booze, meads, beer. They taught them how to be intoxicated. They taught them how to waste. They taught them how to plunder. They taught them how to pillage. They taught them how to abuse kids. They taught them all of that. Y'all still hearing? They taught them abortion. They said those, the devil taught them how to rip children out of war. They taught them how to make what weapons of war. They taught them how to come up with war plans. This whole world, this empire of unbelief, this is not what Jesus has. Heaven is like we're working with it. Not because we can't stop devils, but because they have genetized their ways in you. Which is why you want to be born again. Because you can't stop. They've been killing humans until we be able to see. <laughs> Which is what he did. He met, he, what, that was the flood. The blood was his solution. So we can talk about that. You can tell. They can't tell me that. People say, well, y'all go to the high church as opposed to the valley place. Go uh, so I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Yeah. Moses on the mountain, what do they throw in the valley? They're making new gods. The priest, Aaron, is making a helping of making new gods. Talk about turning on your brother. Talk about disagreeing with your brother. He's up on the mountain getting getting your first thing type of life ever, and you down there, they having orgies, they doing intoxications, that's in, in the mouth. Because at the top, where's your head? Your head is at, not at the bottom of your feet. Your head's at the top of your feet. Closer to God, nearer to here. So why do I talk like this? Because many of you don't like this. You just had no articulation for that dislike. The Holy Ghost grieved you. You had dreams. There are times you went and went to buy something and God said, Don't buy that. And you know what? You know what followed right after don't buy that? Your pastor's voice. It's okay. 
It's legalistic. It's, it's, is, that, is that true? You bought it anyway, and you wore it. And the minute you wore it and you went into God's world, you felt this sickening sense. And you felt like, I think I just messed up. But then you got to church, and the secular worship was playing. Hallelujah. You know, that secular worship where it's not, it's, it's the old songs of the 50s, 50s, and 70s with some Christian words thrown on it. See, the fact that I've been around a long time, I told my people many times, I said, um, that song is this. That song is it, because I snapped and popped on that. I know, I know that. <laughs> Baby, I snapped and popped and everything <laughs> on that song that's now in your church as worship song. Because nobody is scanning the music. Nobody is checking to see whether or not a familiar spirit is coming in through the sound, allowing you to put Jesus' lyrics on it, because we want to confuse people. Well, there's no new sounds coming. Well, not if you're going to stay in the valley on the ground. You ain't getting them. They're up at the mountain. So I, and, and I would go to churches, even now, when they invite me in, and they got, because, you know, young people, y'all generation don't know anything, you're a disconnect. You are, you're learning what we've already heard. That which is has already been. There is nothing new under the sun. So I go there, and I mean, they, you know, they dressed up, the girls got their little tight this and that on, and you know me, I'm a killer. I surely am. I'm like, you have every right to look the way you want. But you don't have a right to say it's the true Jesus Christ. That is a lie. You don't have that right. And somebody has to start saying it. So you got all of these churches, and you go to them, and the music is what, what you used to get high on, you know? What you, you I got, I know, and you know when you get high on them, they stay in your soul for a long time. <laughs> Baby. They last a while, you know? They last. And then you get a little older, and then uh, as we go on. But we, we, nobody, our job as the ministry, our job as the, as the threefold and the fivefold is to let you know all of Satan's tricks and devices. We, we have to tell you what is a seducing spirit. Because as far as you know, it's a spirit and you feel good. So we have to say, yeah, well, you feel good because it's seduction. You realize seduction feels really nice. That's why it works. And a doctrine of devil, you're like, well, it's a doctrine. And many of you, humanist doctrines, have, have taken and labeled doctrines of devils because they want Christians to be deceived. We've got preachers here teaching Buddhism talking about the Christ spirit. You realize Jesus said, he got, Jesus said, I'm going to have bunches of imposters, and it's our job to vet them. And it's our job to say what that man is saying is not only Buddhist, it is from a high devil. You all don't research. Y'all don't check these people's background. I went there on the man's website. He's standing there on one leg, half like this, in front of a huge Buddha. Him and his wife. You can go to his site, those of you who understand. You can go to his site. He's standing there on one leg with a huge Buddha and, uh, and teaching you weekly about how to assimilate Buddhism in Christ. Yeah. 
See, I'm a chief apostle, and I'm not going out with your blood on my hands. So everybody that listened to his program, he has already sold them, told those devils that he has sold them. You, the universe. How about this? I'm almost done. The universe. Now, I cannot believe, but then devils are really good at blinding humans. Because the Bible says that the, the veil is taken away in Christ. So the less Christ you have, the more Satan you'll love. Well, isn't that true? You love those songs, don't you? Those are his songs. Don't you love it? You love when you go out on Friday night and get to go to church on Sunday and say, Lord, thank you for keeping me last night. And I'm you love the hypocrisy. You love that. You do. You love that little nasty way because you get to have a little love because God is love. Cupid is love. And you need to know Jesus from Cupid. You don't realize that. And so you really do. The less Jesus you hear about, the more Satan you love. And that's the, that's the game. You only got one or two powers. Is this right? Yeah, yeah. You only got one or two powers. So you either want the purity of God, and then you don't even understand why God is holy. Because your, your pastor told you, or your leader, prophet, apostle told you, that God is, you know, that holiness is not what we think it is. God is holy. When he says, I'm holy, he told you what holy was. He, before he went to the cross, Jesus defined holiness to him. Does anybody remember what he said? He said, the prince of this world has come, and he has nothing in me. Holy is no Satan within. Can we go here? Holy is not, my strength is not diluted by humanism. My strength is not diluted by worldliness, by sexism, by gender. My strength is not diluted, and he said he has nothing in me. He, they can talk about him all day long saying, well, you know, well, you know, it says that he met with Mary or he did this. Jesus couldn't masturbate. He couldn't. And you know why? Because he had no impotent sperm, which means millions of us would not be if God went ahead with the cross campaign. He couldn't. He couldn't kiss another woman, let alone a woman he had cast out seven devils. Okay? Because he could look in her body and see the residue of every man. That's how he judges you. You think, it's, well, I took a shower. You can't shower your soul, baby. <laughs> is that all right? It's the truth. See, you, but see, you, you listen to these, uh, those are pagan theologians whose job it is to diminish Christ and to de- deteriorate him so that you are conflicted about what is him. And so you'll just start just chasing the word Christ. Just, just, that's Jesus. Oh, really? He said it was Jesus. Oh, come on, Grace. Come on. We, I mean, how many of us bought equipment and appliances with the label on it and it's not it? You got to send it back just because they're using a the label and a tagline. So when we talk about, when you talk about it, when you, uh, you, know, well, you know, Jesus was a man of like passion. That doesn't mean he gave in for him. 
So you have to realize that there's a there's a technology to our biology, a biological technology or biological side of our theology. That's why if it wasn't, why did the man have to take thirty nine strikes? God could have just rolled him in the air. Why did he have to take 39 strikes? Why did he have to be broken? Because there was a biological side. The only way to get Jesus' soul to spill out of his body was to kill him. So you can walk around and say, well, you know what? Because I had a, 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 a major prophet talk about, he told his prophets to wear condoms when they have sex. We're talking about a large number. And you all don't even know they're coming in with that on or leaving for that. Why? Because devils want to pack into your being. And then afterwards, they want to ride the greatest transit system for them is sex, but then also words. The words that I speak unto you are spirit and life. That's why you need to make sure your church is a word church and what word they're talking about. I watched this whole thing where the theology was like, well, you know, I said, well, the devils are always about flesh. Devils are always about earth. They're always about flesh. They're always about mortality. They're always about bloodletting. They're always about cannibalism. They are always, and when I say always, they are always about how to kill you, get you out of your body before Jesus gets in your soul. And then if they can't stop that, then they stop your salvation, and they abort your new birth. That is what they've always done. Read it. I'm not making it up. So when they tell me that, and they say to me, well, you know, Jesus, no, no. No, no, because the idea, Jesus told you, he said, of all that he has given me, I should lose nothing. And if you don't get that body, that if he didn't get his seed and body, then it wouldn't have mattered. So he couldn't even masturbate the little 13-year-old boy in the closet. You can do that because he didn't. He did not. I know, isn't that scary? It's scary. Isn't that scary? He did not. He could not ever drop seed, ever, anywhere. He could not allow himself to be aroused enough to drop seed because he carried the spirit of generation in his being. He came to earth with us, with everybody that will be saved. See, this is the kind of stuff young folk need to hear while you're running around figuring out how many boyfriends you can have and be glad you didn't get an STD or an STI. That's the least of your concerns. We got a lot of infertility. I'm saying this to you, but you know you what I talk about. We have a lot of, you know where a lot of that infertility comes from? Sex at 9, 10, 12, 11, 14, 16. If you only were ordained with two eggs, you only need two boyfriends or one boyfriend twice. You are permanently without child. Because you don't take care of your reproductive self. We can also add to that birth control. You're going to talk because the body is really funny. If you keep telling it not to produce something, it will turn it off. You don't need it. Then we can also talk about abortion. Those are all satanic inventions, every single one of them. Everything. Because in their mind, less seed in the flesh, less risk 
of Christian of Christian uh, implantation in those bodies. So that's why you need to, that's why they want your little girl dating as well. That's why they want it, because they have to kill the Christian of predisposition, because we were in Christ before the foundation of the world. So they have to abort your new birth. That's a lot different, isn't it? And a lot of times you thought, well, you know, we all have needs. We all have that. Those aren't your needs. Those are devil needs. You think devils can't make you get all riled up and whatever all the time, walk by, and you're not even thinking about it. And some guy walked by or some girl walked by. It's not even crossing your mind. And the voice said, hmm, that's hot. And you think it's you. Not the spirit they're walking in. To seduce you. Come on. Throw their voice. That's common. Throw their thoughts, that's common. And so when you get saved, this is how they, they set you up and psych you up. When you get saved, you say, okay, I'm, I'm free in Jesus, I'm healed, I'm this, I'm that, I'm not that person. And you, you go and somebody walks by and you hear that voice again. And now they go from they go from goading you to guilting you. Oh, I thought I was clean. I thought I was free. I did not know I was so now it's to make you feel guilty. And so you think that the new birth didn't work, that the blood didn't work, that the cross didn't work. You understand what I'm saying to you? So that's why he said, take no thought. Take no thought. Separate your thoughts from the thoughts of the spirit that once ruled you. Take time to know yourself. Take time to know the new creation you, which is not a, a whole lot like the old creation. So are you saying, Dr. Price, that I can't do this or these can't come up in me? I'm saying they can, but you can recognize them. See, before, you never knew it was another being. But when those beings are out, they sound like they're out. They, and, and they feel like they're pushing on for you in your sleep. And when you get together, this is just my mini class on spiritual warfare. Because, see, we want spiritual warfare to be just supernatural. Just individual, not psychological or soulological. This is actual soulological warfare. He said, flee youthful lust that war, did anybody remember war? That war against your soul. So these are soul wars. And they're soul wars that are using residuals that have yet to close or yet to be purged. That's what they're doing. I mean, you think about it. You, now, I want you to think about it. You have a relationship right now as a Christian woman, which, of course, I just think that's about useless, but we'll talk about that in another time. But you have this relationship, and, you're, and you go into it saying, this is what you go into a cycle. This is Satan's, Satan's uh, philosophy of mantra. You go into it and say, well, if it doesn't work, we'll just do something else. Do you know what that, meant, what that set the stage for? It set the stage for failure infidelity, and lack of sincerity. You already go in saying, I'm not giving it my all. I'm not, make, I'm not going in to make it work. I'm going in to feel it out. You say that. That's what that means. You get married, and you say, well, if it doesn't work, we'll get married again. You got people sitting in congregations been married three, four, five, six, ten times. And still think, like the marriage is a dating club with a ring and a, and a cake. Why? Because it's, Jesus knows 
the one that he didn't choose shouldn't have been. The one that he did choose, you threw away, and every marriage thereafter is bigamous. In heaven, they call you a bigamist. Because marriage is supposed to be, what is it supposed to be? They, they didn't have cakes and whatnot way, way, way in the beginning. They would jump a rock, you know, swim to the water. I don't need to die. So God calls you. That's why when, you, when Israel was doing it, he called their corner. Because you're a bigamist in God. You know, more like a polygamist. So, and, and then you come to God. See, this is not a matter of feeling bad. This is a matter of knowing where God is stuck with you and where you're stuck with him. Mm-hmm. Where God is. So you, then, then you go out and you go dating and you think, well, but God, I mean, you know, how do you know unless you find out? God does not think like that because how would he? He can't agree with you. He's out for no maker. He said, I knew before I made you who I chose. And I know that wasn't it. And so when we, this whole, like the whole dating thing, the reason dating and divorce match, I call them the two D's of matrimonial failure. Do you know why they work? Because dating prepares you for the consciousness of out with the old, in with the new. Keep trying as if one is trying out the best car to buy. So y'all just roll testing or roll testing. So bad to say, if you notice, you know marriage is something powerful too, because they keep messing with it. You ever want to know what is what is God's using, what's powerful to God? Just look at what Satan messes with. Babies, he's messing with their abortions. Christian women getting abortions, thinking that it's under the blood. More than one. I, I could even go with one, but after the first one, don't you think you should learn? But it's because their pastors told them it's okay. Pastors are, are, the pastor's world is that pulpit and that sanctuary. The maker's world is every being he ever had. And I'll tell everybody when they talk about it, I say, you don't just marry a person, you marry their world. You marry their good, their bad, their ugly, you marry their covenants, you marry their bills, you marry their debts, you marry their family and all of their family curses, you marry all of that, you marry all of that. So when you start thinking about getting married, you have to make sure you want all of that as part of your own, and they too. See, that is why, and you, you don't you don't realize that, that when we're all of this here, baby mama drama, and daddy mama, daddy drama, and all of that, all of that comes from marrying someone's world. They never leave your world. You want to, you have to navigate all of that. Not to mention everybody they ever slept with is now in your bed, and everybody you ever slept with is in there. That's why when you look in the Bible, he says to your widow needs to be separated, uh, unmarried for a certain amount of years so that he can purge the old world out of them. Not us. Out with the old, in with the new. Broke up the day, there we go. Got a divorce, let's go to the bar. Let's go see. Because, because Satan just needs his streams constantly coming in. He needs that. He needs you to always be receiving from him, just like the Holy Ghost does. He needs you to always be receiving his love. He needs you to always be receiving, to always receive his mistrust of God. He needs you to always receive his infected, because these are all, all of those sexual encounters are germat germs, that he needs all of that, that grain of a mustard seed in you. 
So God puts grain of mustard seed for faith. He has one for unbelief. He needs that. And why does he need it? Because I'm going to tell you why it's important that Christians fall. Y'all all right? Just in case we didn't get it. It's important. It's important for Christians to fall. I want you to listen to me. And right now, you need to tell to key this in your message and tell all your friends. Dr. Price is getting ready to tell us why it is important for Christians to fall and fail. Okay? Make sure you show. so share, 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 announce, announce. So let me tell you why. When the when Genesis six says that the sons of God saw the daughters of men. We, you know, it took a while for us to realize that those are fallen angels. We, we, Jude lays it out, which means Jesus told his brother the whole story. Because Jude is the one that's telling us that they kept out their first estate and what it did and how it happened. And he talked about how they contaminate the garment. Isn't that powerful? The garment, meaning the soul. He said, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. So, you know, if he makes that statement, it's not about the body. So when they saw that Adam could reproduce, they thought, aha, we can now reproduce ourselves. When they saw that, you know, and they only and they, they didn't even have to do it twice, but of course I believe that a lot of girls, you know, King James wasn't going to recognize girls as far as he concerned women can go to hell. So, um, so when they saw that, they gained something. They gained reproductivity. They thought, huh, so that's how the most high did it. Because they knew God was full of seed. And so he knew that. So, and, and they had sense enough to know that God does everything seed like. There is nothing too small that you do in life that will not bring forth fruit. Nothing. There's nothing. I don't care if it's the smallest subatomic of the subatomic. There's nothing. So they come. Now, so what are they getting? These are dead spirits. God has their rebellion. He has taken their power. He has taken their, their life. And so they need a new life force. And they get to, on top of it, they get to have another, they get to create their own species, similar to what they did in God's world with work. Because in God's world, everything is done by work. So that is, that's very important. So here we go. Fast forward, we got all of that, and if you read it, it tells you in Romans 5 that death reigned from Adam to Moses. So what is that telling you? That they were dead, and they're looking for a life force. So they got reproductivity, they got life force, and they got Adam's dominion over the works of God's hand. All right, you may have kissed, kicked us out of heaven, but we got this. Now, let's go all the way now. We're in the New Testament. We're under the new creation. So why does he need the new creation? If Adam, who was fallen and dead, supplied them with a, a life force, a bloodline energy, then how much more us with the new creation spirit and the Holy Ghost? 
That's a bigger coup. That's even bigger. bigger. When you think about when Moses died, Satan comes for his body. Why? I, and, and I, you know, over the years when I was learning this, I kept wanting to say that he came for his soul, but it, I looked it up as soma, his body. So I said to God, why his body? And then he takes me all the way back to Elijah, who had been dead for a good little while, and still dead bodies are bringing, his bones are bringing dead bodies to life. He says, we keep thinking that everything God does with us is abstract, is, is uh, you know, metaphysical, and that it's not real. And he's saying, but these are physiological things. That's why when you think about it, you can say, well, man, when I first got saved, I used to get a cold every year. No longer. Why is that? You know, when you and if you stay in the word, he means that every disease will come off of you if you stay in the word in the right spirit. So a lot of people want to quote the word. There's no power in quoting. The power is in assimilating and becoming. So we go back. So now Satan needs Christians to fall because he knows the law of God. The reason that the church bell came up with that that's legalistic is because Satan knows the law of God. We we y'all concluded that he was a dumb creature. You know, I think it was a little a little crazy, but he wasn't dumb, and he still is. So you think? I mean, so you think that he doesn't know? Satan is playing from God's playbook because he hasn't. He's perverted God's playbook. To bring about death where God's initial is life. So he wants you to fall because he does he no longer just gets the energy of your blood, your physical blood. He gets that whole coagulation with the blood of Jesus. Because your new creation is sending off the blood of Jesus. Your spirit is sending off the blood of Jesus. So he wants that. So their death gets to be forestalled. Why do you, and they show you that that's what they're going after. They eat babies. Okay? They eat children. Don't they? Why? Because they believe that that's their physiological attempt at what Satan is going after, pneumatological. So if he can get in your body, if he can get in your soul, he can, what, what your new creation is doing, even though it gets corrupted, it's still so potent, it's still sending out the powers of God. Everything, if you read by the way God opens the, the New Testament, he's always talking about his power in you. Yeah. The power that raised Jesus from the dead. You think the devil doesn't want that? Right. right. Now, it doesn't mean that the Holy Ghost is leaving it as a free-for-all, because if, the more the Spirit gets, uh, gets damaged, or dirty, the less the Holy Ghost can even get in there because death is what started this. So now you've got this spirit between your soul and, and your body, and it's, and it's literally what your spirit is doing in your soul is now being communicated to your body. But it's mixed. That's what God's issue with holiness is. It's mixed. And eventually... It will begin to be your God or pretend to be your God in your soul, and you'll start obeying its lust. 
Now, I'm going to say something, because I haven't said anything shocking yet, daughter. But how many times those of you who were sexually active have you gotten a new, had a new sexual encounter and found something new happening in your body or in your mind? A new compulsion, a new interest, a new desire, a new appetite. Y'all don't have to say yes or no. I don't want to know your business like that. A girl has her first boyfriend totally changed. A man has his first, a boy, his first girlfriend totally changed. Belief systems change. Values change. Desires change because of the seed that was left in you. Now, a girl is 12, and she has been having sex since she was 12. She's 35. Average person you keep, what, three years? Do you know how many people, spiritual material, spiritual residue is in you? But see, we don't get through all those classes. We don't, we don't want to get through all those classes. We, we like to say that when you have sex, that um, it's just an experience and nothing is left behind. So what are STDs? Aren't they leave behind? Well, those are not leave behind? You know, pelvic inflammation, and that'll leave behind. There, so if we have physical leave behind, don't you realize we got zoological leave behind? All of a sudden, and, and it depends on what the person believes and what kind of a prince it was that's walking in. You don't want to go to church. You don't want to do Jesus. You don't want to hear Jesus. You don't want to sing. You can't stand your Bible. All you want to do, first of all, in the first few months, all you want to do is keep getting it. I'm a real mother and I'm not going to let you not know that we're vulnerable. I'm not going to let you be ignorant. The next time you lay down with somebody, my words are going to talk to you. And I'm going to kill them all. Yes, I am. Because you become a carrier for the next thing God wants to A, the next thing Satan wants to A, you, B, and C. Now, we're walking around here with masks for a fake COVID defense, and everybody knows that's airborne, but we know that there's a contagion. What you don't realize is that contagions began spiritual. The sons of God began by contagion. And it said death reigns. Think about it. Death reigns from Adam to Moses. And nobody's hearing. What did Moses the law? Legalism. He illegalized devils killing humans at will. Are y'all with me, Facebook? I just want to know. Y'all, are y'all still with Dr. Price? Y'all remember me when it's seed time. <laughs> so I gave you all of that so you can understand how we got here. Because many times, you hear so much crazy across the pulpit. You got pastors uh, fondling and petting their wives in public so that the men of the church will wish they had them. Meanwhile, Satan is staging her future adultery and human fantasy about him. So they're going to go home and try to do that with their wives. 
and dishonor their wife like that. And Thessalonians, I don't know if God say that. Thessalonians said, possess your vessel or your wife in honor. Honor me, not making her a pornographic spectacle. But look at but look up. Don't take my word for it. You, they want you to make your make. Literally, Satan wants your wife to be a pornographic spectacle. We look at the pictures of a lot of these young pastors' wives, and they are already flipped into goddess mode. Mm-hmm. And they're laid out like my naked body means everything. Your naked body is pornographic, but it tells us that you went to a meeting with Satan. He promised to make you have some goddess stuff going on. So if you would go and deceive the body of Christ, that's what he made a promise. He's keeping his promise, but you all can't be gone. Don't assume that just because God didn't strike that person dead that he's pleased. And that's our mindset. Well, they they making money and they doing this and they own this and that. Uh-uh. They, they're doing all of that off deluded humans. Deluded Christians who feel like God changed. I am the Lord. I changed not. But they feel like, well, I mean, she's still there. Let me tell you something. If you have to have a seducer for unbelievers. So the people who don't want to believe truth, the people who want to believe the lie, who want to be deluded, you've got to have icons. You've got to have to have celebrities and stars, physical representation of what they would prefer to believe. I hope this is making sense to you all. I hope it's, is it? So when you look at, but the whole idea is to deal with, don't you wish you had it? Don't you want to be missed? And look, I did it, and God didn't strike me there. Cain killed his brother, and God didn't strike him there. But that doesn't mean God didn't wreck his world. But why? <laughs> what did he do? Because you have to think about this. I, that's why I like these broadcasts. That's why I would love to. I need you all to up your giving so I can get them bigger networks. You keep writing me about Dr. Price, you need this. Why don't you do fundraisers for me? Help me raise the funds to get on a bigger network instead. Because, you know, when you get out there like this, the first thing, well, I don't have to tell y'all. So Cain killed his brother. Is that right? Yes. And God talks to Cain as if they had relationship, because we assume that that God's distance that we all experience and, we, and, and that intimacy we're fighting for didn't exist in his neo-civilization, his baby civilization. So this is what God does. Cain kills his brother, sets the stage for Genesis 6. Because Adam has already blown the standard for God's nature. He has already taken in Satan's nature. All of his descendants are now going to be mixed with the serpent seed. That was done. So it's inevitable that everything else that transpired would happen. So, and, and, and then we're going to hear from our prophet because I know that they, they, she said we listen. But, so Cain killed his brother to prove what? 
the, you don't know until you get down to John, Jesus' closest buddy, who says Cain was of the wicked one. So what Cain did, he, he showed what nobody could know, that Satan's firstborn was in the planet. So now, why is it that Abel can die, but Cain gets to go off with a mark? Because somebody has to provide not just the, the DNA, but the social and world structure for those who will not believe, for the tares, if you will. So Cain is the father of the tares in the flesh. Spiritually, the wicked one, Satan is. So he is actually Satan's firstborn because it's proof that Adam surrendered the planet. Is that amazing? It's proof that Adam surrendered the planet because Adam no longer had power. Abel, we find out later, has taken his father's place as leader, and Cain goes off to create and build cities in the name of Satan's firstborn. Now, how did it all begin? It's not a shot fired, not anything other than Cain rising up to kill his brother, who is God's messenger. So when you think about false religions and you think about paganism, what are pagans about today? Fruits and veggies. Nature. Well, what was the battle? Cain preferred fruits and, fruits and veggies and nature. That's in the, the foundation, the fabric of human civilization. I don't know why I can't bring the fruit of the ground. Where they at today? Fruit of the ground. Now they think everyone because each generation thinks they knew. And then, but but God has said, but <laughs> that's what God is in. Marriage created the problem. Nature worship established the rituals. So they talk about nature worship. So now we're back to the universe. But you thought I forgot it. But so now. You know, as each generation, because we have telescopes and whatnot, the new nature worship is, of course, stars. Now, it's not that it wasn't done before, but now we want to institutionalize the religion of universalism. Why? Well, in the early part of civilization, it was all about humans. Cain brought the humanist element into civilization, its worship, and the deification of the fruit of the ground. The Genesis 6 bumped that up to the universe. Talks about astrology at the foundation of the world. So as we go forward, I, I gave you a ton of information. If you are really want to be good at it, you will listen to this no less than 10, 12 times. And you will take notes each time from a new book. Because we, if we Christians don't have this wisdom, we cannot defend ourselves. We, and if we can't defend ourselves in Christ, how are we going to defend Christ from his adversary? If we can't take seriously his assessment and his history, testimony, then how 
in the world are we going to defend ourselves from Satan when we have been reared and groomed in his way with his work primed for his control? If we, if we can't do it. How are we going to take this back? Because we had it. We took it from him. We had it for a couple thousand years, maybe just a good thousand, and then campaigned for him to win it back, and you don't have answers. You all, I mean, you think about it. You know, we went through a whole, the trauma we went through was from the secularist prophet. That was good, all that I said. Why, can't, why we can't think, why we can't make, why we can't, why we can't. In other words, why can't we be like the devil? What is wrong with being like the devil? What is wrong with mixing that up a little bit? A little holy, a little sin, a little righteousness, a little death, a little flesh. We want that. You want that mix that Daniel talks about in the ten toes. We want to mix it up. And why? Because Satan has to mix. How else are you going to get devils and Christians? Mm, That mixing has got to be the order of the day. Blending, fusion has to be the order of the day. Many of you all, when we were dealing with that, it never crossed your mind that maybe Satan was in our midst. And And he always wins when he gets two things. Always. He gains his power. He doesn't win because you all would like really ridiculously strong. But he always wins with two things. And you know what they are? Intercessors, prophets. Throughout the Bible, it's prophets that took God out in this thing, and his, his people out. Prophets. From Abel the prophet who got killed to all of the times that God would save them, the deities of other prophets would come in, and they start talking their God's language. And they start talking their God's wants. And they start talking their God's aspirations. And you know why I won't let it go? Because it's not letting go. All right? So I'm not going to let it go. And I'm not going to let it go because i got leaders who are believing this secular uh, philosophy in this secular culture. That's why you got a lot of churches marrying people who don't belong together and don't care they don't belong together. We got a lot of churches who are telling you to date and mate, and if your marriage fails, go get another one. We got a lot of leaders. This is a leadership issue. It's not a, a, it's a trust me, it's not a congregational versus pulpit. This is actual what God is facing. And I think it's amazing that we have the privilege of letting it happen in our church. I think that was amazing. Because it gave us a chance to, uh, to examine it, to explore it, to look at the roots, and to, for me to give you information that you wish you had had when it was brewing. Because you all would have done a lot different. So, no, I'm not going to say. I got folks that talk about when we don't, I don't think, uh-uh. When you called names, I don't know if Paul called names. Demons who left me, who loved this present. Did he say demons? Does your Bible have demons in it? Does anybody's Bible out here not have demons? All your Bible got, having loved is present. How about Alexander, the silversmith? He said, who did me much wrong? Did he call names? And then wrote them down for prosperity. How about Hymenaeus, huh? Okay, did he not call names? He called names all the time because if you don't call names, the, the offender is anonymous. 
an official, a high official, taking out a rogue. Paul called man. They, the God didn't have to tell us that Peter just made Ananias and Sapphire lay down dead. Pastors don't like to call names because congregants get to serve. Are we glad I'm an apostle? Yeah, I'm going to call names because you don't know who to, because we're talking about letting these people run rogue in the body. Right, come on. Literally inseminating this thing in his breathing. You realize Paul had to do it because it was, what happened could have been a year ago. They didn't have planes and phones and social media. He said, Mark a blameless, a, a blameless man, and he said, Mark the devices. He said that. Well, we had the vision. I had to mark the device. This is apostleship. We want evangelicalism. They hide people's sins because the blood's not enough. Okay. Oh my goodness, Dr. Christ, there's so much that you're saying, um, but even this last point that you just made about the calling of names, if you don't call names, the offender is anonymous, bringing us back to the point that you were making earlier when you talked about the anonymous captors mm-hmm. um, and the reason why that so many devils have been able to successfully establish themselves in anonymity in the body of Christ is something as simple and specific as what you just ended on. Um, as, and it's going back to what you were saying about the seat. So when we don't call names, when it's not called out, then it's not identified, which means that as leaders, what we're actually doing is enabling devils to cloak themselves yes. and to establish themselves and to erect their strongholds and their influences, which lends itself back to what you were also saying earlier about the confusion of people not being Christians, not being able to identify their Christ. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, I, what you're saying to us is so powerful, and even the entire way that you are really pushing us to open up our mind about the seed and about the reproduction. You know, as you're talking to us about Christ and why he couldn't do so many things that we dismiss, so many things that we glaze over, so many things that we giggle about in the modern-day sermons. And you were saying to us uh, the potency, that he had no impotent seed, and so he couldn't spill it. And even, you know, thinking a lot about prophets in that regard, um, you know, we get into uh, this generation of prophets has really gotten into what uh, I kind of refer to as owning prophetics as opposed to Christ's prophetics. What you're showing us when you point us to this and to this potency in Christ and to his holiness, how this equals holiness in how he lived, is you're showing us what he understood about the reproduction. But today, with the culture so entrenched into the church, what we've been trained is to focus upon the release. And so we care more about the release than we do about the reproduction. So we spill anything and we spill everything and we mix everything and, and have no regard for what that's setting everyone up for. Powerful. And you know, one is because you brought out something and why we still let her hands be cut over. And so, um, but I want to say this. You'll have the other side of the coin 
Well, you know, a lot of people were falsely accused. Well, people have not stopped being falsely accused ever in the church. We still got false accusations. People have false dreams, whatnot. But it, but, but it falls to us to develop better and tighter investigative procedures yeah. and impulse and knee-jerk reaction based on loyalty or fidelity to a doctrine or reparation of a historical experience that happened to you that you want to fix in somebody else's skin. Isn't that the truth? See, those can't work. If we're going to sit here, if I'm going to sit here as an apostle, and I don't know, I don't, you know, I don't know about other apostles, that's them and Jesus. But my understanding is that I'm a thronal agent. I'm a representative of the Godhead. I can't back what the Godhead said I can't back, or I can't endorse it and give you the impression it doesn't matter because you are trying to do right in God. So all of the people trying to do right get confused or they get castigated while the people who can care less about God's sentiments on their personal preferences. You know, I was really okay with this until we start having a text campaign. See, so now I'm warring. I'm warring as an apostle for your souls. But we have got to come up with some procedures that are healthy, that are that have checks and balances, and and also procedures that stop it before at, at its seminal point. Mm-hmm. See, we stop it at the seminal thing mm-hmm. when it's just coming. If we can stop it at the seminal thing, then all of this other stuff that everybody has a problem with would never happen. Is that not right? See, what we do is we, because like you said, everything is about the the, the expression, everything is about the showing forth. By the time something, a sin shows forth, it has killed a lot. Mm-hmm. Isn't that what James said? Mm-hmm. He said when sin is full, full grown, it has bring forth death. It has killed a lot, a lot of destinies, a lot of hope, a lot of beliefs and values, a lot of desires, a lot of trust. Because, see, in the, in the old move, if the offender is protected, that means they trust the offender more than they trust the leader. So we want to cover the defender, but we want to uncover the leader who's standing for Jesus Christ. But you know that's human nature. Because the idea is that God is big and strong and muscular. He all right. He'll get over it. But that leader is strong, and anyway, they too, they're too legalistic and too religious, they'll get over it. But they don't realize, and Chief, you spoke about this, the offices are real. And what you do in that office capacity goes beyond the event or the incident. And it is large in creation forever that God can't back you to choose, trust you to back him and choose him first. That you will always... Be an underdog provide protector. Because this is a whole underdog thing. You know? Yeah, well, you know, the sheep is little. No, this is not that. This is whether or not God can trust you with his officials. And so three years from today, ten years from today, whenever, or the incident, whatever the incident is, I don't care. You're going to look for God to promote you, and he's going to pass over you. Because God has reactions, too. See, we, we so, because evangelicals never dealt with the spirit, never dealt with apostles, yeah. scriptures, offering mantles, and, and all of that. They dealt to them, it's a matter of what WYSIWYG. Everything is a WYSIWYG judgment. Mm-hmm. So what is it? whatever you see mm-hmm. is what you get. 
and whatever you feel in the moment is God because I say it's God. It's God because I have God within. But that's not how kingdom works. Kingdom works on who's going to guard the king, his reputation, who's going to uphold his decisions, his judgment. If you read from Moses coming out of all the way until we get to Christ, God talks about my judgments, my testimonies, my history. Testimonies is his history, too. My testimonies, my statutes, my ordinances, my words, my prophets, my prophecy. He says that all together and prophets are fired for violating. Uh, amen. When we say Selah. Selah. You know, you have to go home and meditate on that because so much was said and you think you've captured the words but not the implication. Yes. You know, this is being, you know, everything that was said is replete with reverberating implications that, you know, keep moving and keep going um, even long after you finish this message. But I think that the, the key thing that's cool about apostleship coming forward in this season is that we need a line to the throne. Mm-hmm. Because the the cloaking device of culture has caused a lot of what God would say to be eclipsed, and it's always been that way. We're not. This what's happening in our generation, as you pointed out, just cause, you know through the continuum, it, it, it's not different. The 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 culture always eclipsed God, which is why Israel kept going through the cyclical things. Okay, why are you still listening to this? Why are you under the idols under the tree? Why are you under every mountain? Why are you up here doing this? Because every time culture came in, it always cloaked uh, the devices of the enemy. Always. She talked about the anonymity. Uh, he uses culture to stay, you know, anonymous. You talk about that in the opening of Before the Garden. He uses culture to remain anonymous because it's the anonymity that allows him to work without your will rising up. She gave your will the ability to rise up today and fight back by uncovering, disclosing, and exposing. So now you're going to be less inclined to just go along with things and agree because you now have identifiers and markers and indicators to say, what is, what is, who are you? This isn't God. And so I love that about, you know, just what apostleship does, because otherwise, the anonymity, we tell them how to take out a Christian, the anonymity brings you into presumption. Mm-hmm. And nothing takes a Christian out in God faster than presumption. And so we look for ways to not learn God, but to faster ways that we can presume how he's going to respond and react to our behavior. Mm-hmm. So, oh, no, 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 Jesus loves that. You don't have to worry about that. God forgives. You don't have to worry about that. We have grace. So everything's about teaching how to presume on God and not learn him. Mm-hmm. And that's very, very challenging because it takes the Christian out in a heartbeat. Yeah. And the presumption becomes that um, – uh, I, I have so many notes of going back to that. <laughs> but presumption becomes a part of that spirit that you said stands between the Holy Spirit and your spirit that begins to feed your soul and create these idols. Like, I realize Ezekiel 13 doesn't come out of just desire. I mean, you make idols out of what you presume God is going to do or say or believe about your behavior. And that can become an idol. You're serving a presumption. And that's why I think that what you start us off with as prophets reading Psalm 119 and Psalm 19, which actually, towards the end, really does wear you out. Okay, because he does it so subtle. We talk about the heavens. We talk about this. You get to the end of that, and he was like, and God, show me how to be delivered from presumption sin mm-hmm. and self-will sin, willful sin. And so I'm sitting there thinking, oh, my. So the cloaking device can deceive 
you into presumption, which will make you believe that you're not offending God, that you're okay, and it becomes the anesthetizer and the disarmor of all of your Christian alarms, your discernment, your alert, all of those things shut down because you presume you're in an okay place with God because he's God who forgives, he's gracious, he's love, he's kindness, it'll work out in the end. And not that you said that there are things that uh, we can do in our senses that can show up later biologically, that can show up later genetically down in the family line later. It can show up, you know what I mean, after that and in different times in your life where you're now pressing God for a promotion and for a breakthrough. And so, exactly. And so we don't think about the fact that those, you embed something into your life that does bear fruit, like James says, later, just not the way that we think. And because of that cloaking mechanism that he uses to kind of just, you know, you know, you don't fight. But I think that what you're telling us in this season, wake up, put your alarms back on. You need to fight. Mm-hmm. Fight this. Fight back. You know what I mean? Don't allow this to just kind of load you into a place of passivity and, and, and comfort with God because he's your father. He wouldn't do that because he's your father. I don't know why. When you go back and read all of these words, you're like, but he did it. Israel was his, were his children, and he certainly sent them to Babylon, put them in captivity, and like you said, after you suffered a while, they came back home. Don't think to end up doing the same thing. You know, like, you know what? It was in the generation. Exactly. And so a lot of times you don't recognize that you're seeing something that's going to show up in a different way and in a different generation by how you're doing it now. So to me, I think that culture is a cloak that makes you presume on God and feel like everything's okay because you're okay with it. Well, I'm okay with it, so God's okay with it. So we don't have to ask him. We don't have to go and inquire. In fact, what did, they, what did he tell Israel was the number one sin or the number one offense that they always did to him? You don't inquire of me. Did he say that? He said every time. He doesn't expect them to know the answer to every action and behavior that happens in your life. But where we get caught is that we just don't inquire. We just make a conclusion. Because of where we presume we are in God. We're in this orb of sinlessness. We're in this orb of freedom. We're in this orb of forgiveness. We're in this orb that's protecting us. So you don't inquire. Presumption will make you, I mean, very insensitive to the Lord. So you don't inquire. I, I, first of all, how many of you all said it's amazing? Are these, are these two prophets are there? But I'm going to tell you this. The culture cloak is to blind your consciousness to what you used to understand and, and to you used to know and fear about God. Because the culture cloak takes fear away. The fear of the Lord is the first thing to go. I told you, you go to church, the first thing to go is fear of the Lord. Let me tell you, they fear, you fear God, and not because you fear his judgment, but you fear offending him as much as you fear offending or earning your judgment. And so the whole the whole thing about the fear of the Lord, key in your Bible, how many times God talks about the fear of the Lord. You, you will not fear me. And so presumption means you have lost your fear of the Lord. And you now have fear of myth. You have fear of ego. You have fear of embarrassment. But you have lost your fear of the Lord. To be in a seat, any of the threefold or fivefold seats, and to lose the fear of your superior will make you a traitor. It will make you a betrayer. It will make you a violator, and it will make you a double agent. 
because you don't fear the retribution of your superior. That's where we are even in our country. The fear of the president's office has been shattered. Okay? And I don't mean the I don't mean like coward. I mean coward. I'm talking about dignity. I'm talking about respect. I'm talking about cooperation. You know, you're talking about social media taking this man off and he's the president. Somehow or another, they've been told that there's a new power. So when we go forward, when we, and us as, as apostles and prophets, when you lose your fear of the Lord, you begin to violate his truth. You can't, you, you don't, like she said, you don't think it. And when you, and, and you begin to keep your position outwardly in, in attire and in superficial conversation, but as with Ezekiel, you're behind the scenes conferring with people who have also lost their fear of the Lord. And you're looking, and God is showing you in the talk how, yeah, I, I'm doing cross out here, but back here I'm doing universe. And that's what they do. So I want to tell you, Jesus talked about this. I just absolutely love it. I, 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 but if we're going to serve the true Jesus Christ, we got nothing but scripture. There is nothing else in creation for us to serve the true and living God and his son, Jesus Christ, than these scriptures. Nothing else. Everything else has been written to amplify, to, you know, clarify, but nothing, nothing is nucleic. This is the nucleic template and constitution. This is the atomic for us serving the living God. It's, it's atomic, it's anatomic. But you have to recognize, recognize, recognize this rather, nothing but scripture. That's why Satan keeps going after it. If, if I was wrong, we wouldn't have all of these translations. If we, if we would have a more teachers than we got translations. Yeah. But there is nothing else, Christian, a Christian leader who is determined to do it right, there is nothing else. And you know when you're under attack, you know when devils are scouting you, when they keep telling you there are other pieces and other alternatives. When they come up to me and talk about, well, you know, the Bible was written by men. I mean, like, you know, like your whole life. Your device that you read every day, that was written by men. You understand that? So that argument is this. Well, you know, different people translate different things. You know there are contradictions. There ought to be contradictions. It's not a historical book. We just say this is one piece. This is our work, God. This is our constitution. Now, we have some chronicles, which she and I thought about it. We have some history. We have some parables. We have a little sampling of everything. I think God did an amazing job giving us a sampling of everything that would comprise a model and a schematic of his kingdom. This is more of a schematic than is anything. So we have to know that. So Jesus says, now this is so powerful. And, and people do it, leaders do it, and don't even mean it. They don't mean it. He said, if the world hate you, excuse me, if people of this world hate you, just remember that they hated me first. If you belong to the world, its people would love you. But you don't belong to the world. I have chosen you to leave the world behind. And that is why people hate you. Remember how I told you that servants are not greater than their master. Presumptuous leaders buy into I'm greater than the master. See, Jesus had to take a hit for this, but I'm not taking hits. 
Okay? So if people mistreat me, they will mistreat you. If they do what I say, they will do what you say. People will do to you exactly what they did to me. They will do it because you belong to me, and they don't know the one who sent me. 1522, John 1522. If I, now, this is where I want to go. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Everyone who hates me hates my father. And so now, but under the, I like the King James on this part. When he talks about that, because I think you would like it, 1522, he said to me, they would, um, if I had not come and spoken to them, oh, hit the wrong button. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no hope for their sins. Now, see, this is Bible. They would have no hope. So once these people have heard the word of the Lord, once they've called themselves becoming acclimated and adapted to the Lord, and they turn around and decide that they're going to do contrary to the Lord, they, they may be covering their ways, you know, so they have these cover-ups. You know, first culture will give you a cover-up because it doesn't have to take care of you throughout your whole life. Satan just needs to seduce you for his purposes at that one time. But what they, but, but he also knows that the minute you go against God, you have inseminated your life with, a, with repercussions that will grow up and take you out. The fact that you can be an apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, or teacher and not care about what God feels mm-hmm. means you're not a, an apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. Right. You are a secular minister because you're letting secularity become your doctrine and your motivation and your inspiration. Mm-hmm. And so, and I'm keep saying, you know, I don't really care. I have, I told you I'm not, even old. I can't be doing stuff like that. <laughs> I can't. And then, so I just want to go on because I think what uh, Chief Prophet brought out about presumption. I mean, I think that that is, that is amazing because I'm trying to get it here because, you know, every, every translation got something else. Everyone. Don't you hate it? Okay, Psalm 1913, where you went, and Peter talks about presumption. So I'm going to give you these two, and then I'm going to, so we have a little time, Angela, you can share what you want to share with this. But I'm going to give you these two. When he said this, see, very few people pray. They don't pray that God keeps them from presumptuous sins because they've already presumed that anything that comes out of their mouth because they mean it to be God, because they don't mean to offend God, because they're trying to uphold the Lord. They, so they have already established a presumptuous template for their decisions, their actions, their opinions, their reactions. It's already said. Because they've already because if, if God is not your first point of contact, then you have presumed that you have the end all do all video of God. You don't need to seek God because you have presumed that He has installed the totality of Himself on every situation in you. So why waste time referring to God? I, when you hear, I hear preachers say, "I don't need to know the whole story. I don't need to know the truth. I don't need to hear." That's a presumptuous spirit. Yeah. And they don't know that, that they have been bound by a presumptuous spirit because they have ceased being an agent of truth. So they, because the Bible said the first man said right to the second man tells his side. I don't need to hear the second side. I like what the first side says. 
That's presumption. We don't talk about presumption. But we are going to, in this particular realm with us, so, and, and we hear it. I mean, even in our family, so many people, I don't, need, I don't need to hear, I heard from her, that's all I need. And I'm thinking, but you can't be a leader and not want to hear both sides thoroughly and consider God in the middle. Because, you know, a scale has this and a scale has this, but the, the brace in the middle determines the, the weight mm-hmm. and the balance. So when we do that, and I heard, I don't care, I don't, all I know is, when they say, I don't care, all I know is you have an unjust, presumptuous leader. Mm-hmm. Now, I will say that after I've heard it. They'll tell you, I'll listen to you all the way down to the end. I'll just listen, make my notes. And you know why? Because God rebuked me for being a biased leader. That presumptuous spirit right there, that's the, that's the bedrock of bias. And you can rest, then you can rest assured one bias is coming out. So keep, okay, Psalm 19, keep back that servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have, listen to me, don't See, when they get to, I don't care, I don't want to hear, it doesn't matter to me, I'm going to do this, presumption has taken dominion over them. They can't repent because they can't imagine going to God to find out that they did that to them. Because don't, don't we all have it? Oh, Jesus, I wasn't trying to do it. No. And so, let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright. You see that? When you can't get over your presumption, guess what you are? God said you're not walking in an upright spirit. Then he said, he said, your spirit is not upright in you. He said, and I shall be innocent from great transgression. Is that a powerful statement? Because me in Psalm 19, is my friend, Psalm 19, 7, is most, um, um, the most powerful thing that you can see. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. So think about it. For people to be locked in their presumptuous sins means they're not only unconverted, they're not interested in being converted. They're interested in having their way and their say. I want to go to the next one, and then we're going to talk to Chief who's going to take over, and whatever she does. Presumptuous sin. That's powerful. And isn't it powerful? Yeah. Because we don't realize that. It says, and when you look at presumptuous sin, um, according to the Bible dictionary, it means arrogant, proud, insolent, presumptuous. The arrogant one, presumptuous as an adjective. I'm, I'm just stunned because it's not that hard to be to find out what these attitudes mean. I like what she said, indicators and implicators. Yeah. You, know, it sounds, you know, it sounds great to say, I don't care what anybody say, this is what I believe. You sound boisterous, you sound bold, you sound like a person of conviction till you realize you don't know what you're talking about and you don't care to know. Yeah. Then, and, and the people around you, when we hear people like they say, oh, so you're not valiant for truth. No, I, no, when I was coming up as a prophet, God broke my heart because I was doing all of that, and I started preaching it because if, you, if, if your heart hasn't been broken, you have not been called to the prophetic, okay? And if your soul hasn't been crushed, you have not been called to the apostleship. That's just where it is. Now, you can be appointed by men as a church apostle. You can be an ecclesial one, but you won't be a thronal one because the king is going to crush you to make sure that you don't betray him or deny him or cost him. 
So anyway, so I'm sitting there and I'm reading and I'm preaching and I'm telling them and I'm and, and God, you know, people would ask me questions and I would kind of, you know, skirt the issue and back off and whatever. He said, you know what your problem is? You don't value the truth. I said, well, that's not that. No, you're not. He said, right now, he said, you fear men who would die. That's somebody not valued for truth. You're afraid of people's opinion. That's someone who's not valued for truth. You're afraid of having someone disagree with what you say. He said, you won't stand for me. Now, I'm like, in God, six years? I'm like, wait. I don't know if any of you know what I'm saying, but, but that phrase is in Jeremiah. Valued for truth is in Jeremiah. See, and I can, I can back what I say. Not because this is the only text we have. We don't have another map, another schematic, nothing else other than this Bible, which is why they're fighting to get rid of it. If it wasn't the most powerful thing on the planet, Satan wouldn't touch it. Because he sure ain't trying to beat down the Quran. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Here it is again, um, Chief, Second Peter 2.10. But chiefly them that walk after the flesh and the lust of uncleanness, despise, look, look at this, and despise government, presumptuous are they, self-will, self-will, they're not afraid to speak evil of dignity. Now, don't that sound like whatever? So when you all had your issues about me as God's dignity, this is what this is saying. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, you're like, oh, no, we have conversation. You know, I don't really think she's fine, but I, mean, I think she can do it, but I still think, no, no. I don't care what you think about me, but I do need you to go to God and make sure what you think is right. Trust me. You should always, God should be your first point of contact, not your last plea for repentance. Because he's going to show what he feels, and he's going to do it. And in this dispensation, somebody say this dispensation. In this dispensation, you can rest assured that God's not playing with us. And every, he said, every offense is going to have a consequence. In this dispensation. Now, there was a time we didn't care. You know, God said he winked at our stuff. He said, but right now, the devil's running off the world. I'm trying to save you all from cosmic disaster. And you're going to sit here and get up in my face over your little preferential things. I don't really care. I'm telling you, this is not the time to be wrong in Christ. Amen. It just isn't. I keep saying it, but anyway. I'm going to read just the, uh, the CSB uh, version, which is Christian Standard Bible version, oh, of uh, what we just read in Psalm 19, and then I'm going to turn it over to Prophet Angela to have a, some closing remarks here on that why. But I loved it because I felt like, boy, can this be where you need to be in God, you know, maybe if you are off the bed doing anything. Since um, that's what David really was. And it says, who perceives his unintentional sins or presumptuous sins? Mm-hmm. And then it says, cleanse me from my hidden faults. Moreover, keep your servant from willful sins. Do not let them rule me. Then I will be blameless and cleansed from blatant rebellion. Isn't that powerful? It's powerful, and it gives us some, uh, I think, really potent categories of self-assessment in that regard. But I also think that, Dr. Price, what you have just walked us through has really helped to open our eyes to see presumption as one of, if you will, one of the evangelists of satanic conversion. Go ahead, girl. Wait, hold on, hold on. Wait a minute, read something. Come on. Come out of the mouth of a prophet. Yeah, 
one of the advancements of satanic conversion, converting the leaders of God. You know, as you were hitting on that scripture about the cloak of sin, which I just love the language of the King James anyway, but I couldn't help but also think about, make a tie there back to Genesis. Um, and the fact that when Adam and Eve, uh, you know, disobeyed sin, fell, that the Bible immediately talked about this issue that they knew that they were naked. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, posed the question for me was about, well, what's the difference between the atmosphere that existed in the garden at that moment versus now? Realizing, and then I thought I realized, well, because Satan had no seamstress. No. He had no one to do what we've now been evangelized and converted to do, which is to create all these cloaks. Mm-hmm. so that people don't know what their error and their sin has stripped them of. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love it. I love it. And, the, and, and, you know, that whole hot part about that in the garden, what you don't realize is that God never said Adam had a spirit. He did. He said Adam had a soul. So Adam literally shared God's spirit like we do. He didn't have a spirit. And so that is why when Satan enters him, he gets the devil's spirit. So they know they're naked because the, the, the glory that came with God's spirit was gone. It departed. Isn't that powerful to know? So he didn't have it. And you, we all know it. If you've been in ministry or you have been really high in God and all of a sudden you mess up, you feel when that thing is gone. God pulled that thing off you and you feel naked. Don't you? Yes. Anybody here felt that? Hallelujah. And I mean, and it doesn't mean that because you're in ministry. You could just have fallen, made a mistake. You could just have fallen into sin or just rebe- rebelled again. It doesn't matter. But he pulled that mantle. So that, I'm telling you, between 2021 and 2023, a lot of mantles, he pulled off people, a lot of the glory of God that he lets rest there until he got the replacements ready is about to be removed. I'm telling you, and I, I lived it. I know what it's like. I lived it. Before I got saved, I did it. And then I said something to him that was so vile after I was, when I was young. And the Lord, I'm telling you, he, it wasn't even enough that he took his cover. Mm-hmm. The fact is, when I saw what I did to him, my heart broke. And I said, you don't deserve this. But, honey, I want you to know. And he said to me that word. He said, I'm going to forgive you this time, but I'm not ever going to do it again. I have another question with that um, because, you know, as you're making those statements to us about that, I'm thinking about the adversary saying to them, thou shalt not surely die, Uh which is something that you were pointing out earlier. Mm -hmm. uh, And you talked about that God didn't strike Cain dead, but that he wrecked his world. And as you talk about these mantles that are being pulled uh, in this next phase of time, I'm thinking about that same deception, Mm -hmm. which I think also connects to what you're saying about presumption, that Many of us have felt uh, the whisper of thou shalt not surely die, but what begins to happen when you fall into those sins is that God starts altering our world. And many of the mantles that are going to be pulled, the individuals don't realize Mm -hmm. that their world is already in alteration. That's powerful. And here's something we almost done, because she's going to let you close it out. All right? But I'm looking at the word, thou shalt not surely die, because I thought sometimes we need to just look this stuff up because we've read it in primers and carrying on, and we don't know what's going on. And he said, but um, but he said, whether God said that, but the serpent was pleasant, and the serpent said, and the woman said, and so, so, unless you die, 
and the serpent says, you shall not surely die. Okay? Now, interesting, the word there is muth, M-U-T-H. But this is what it says. Die, to die, kill, to have one executed. To die as a penalty, to be put to death, to perish, even as a nation. Adam carried all nations in him. To die prematurely by the... Now, here's the one where, where people presumptive. To die prematurely by neglect of wise moral conduct. To kill, put to death, to dispatch, meaning to dispatch something to take you out. And last, and so the last two are pretty much the same. To be put to death, to die prematurely. Adam died prematurely. And so did his wife. So Satan said, when he said surely, in that little word surely, he knows that God has an execution coming. He already knows that because he's dead. He already knows. He knows how to die in God. He's dead. Well, I think that today's show was very powerful. And for people who do want to in this season really realign and get right with God, renew a right spirit within themselves and get back on track, that this is the, the, the episode to listen to, like you said, a thousand times. There's so many prescriptions. Is it true? Uh, okay, because there's so many prescriptions in here for healing, for deliverance in a righteous way. Because we think we make even healing and deliverance can be an idol. It's just so crazy because pain can be so idolatrous because it, it takes over your life. And when it does, I mean, goodness, you got morphine devils coming and helping you kind of get through. It's crazy how you can end up in a place where you don't really want to be. It's true. Okay, because they come like morphine and you just doing this just to stop the pain and you'll just take anything. But I think that if you if we want to come out of those those places that there's some prescriptions in here. And the first thing I think we all need to do is you go back and you say, you know what, Lord, if I just presume that this was where you were and what you felt, then we can go ahead and readjust ourselves and recalibrate ourselves at the altar. Because I think the moment that acknowledgement comes, the blindness comes off your consciousness. Yes. Because we are, you know, we're so blinded by, you know, what, what, the, the, what the pervasive messages are. And they do become soul soothers. And you talked about that in biblical psychology. But I think that for Christians, we have inherent doctrinal soul soothers that we resort to when we run up on pain and when we run up on difficulty that we really need to go back and reevaluate. I think that in the visitation, since that's how we started this, I think this kind of lets us know how to handle the inspection period with the Lord. And when he and the gutting and then the vetting, okay, when we get there, well, he can't even vet yet until he gets the veil of blindness off that causes us to not walk in the fear of the Lord, to be very irreverent towards him, towards his people, towards his word, towards his scripture, and all of those things. And when you say, you said something very powerful when we were in the kitchen, and, you know, Dr. Price has a tendency to just kind of say something off the cuff and just keep moving, okay, in that moment. And she was really talking about our organization at that time. This was 18. Our organization at that time, you know, having some sort of something was coming, mm -hmm. you know. And she said, all I know is that God told me that pride comes before fall. That's what he told me. And, he, and she just said it. And I don't know how many years before destruction. So when she talked about the pride, she said the first thing that happens is that the enemy gets you puffed up on you. When your whole life starts becoming narcissistically uh, focused on yourself, it doesn't matter what it is. It can be, man, God didn't bless me in this job. God's not blessing my money. It can be something that basic where he starts making your life the idol, mm -hmm. and you start shifting from Jesus Christ to 
starting focusing, I mean, just intensely on yourself. Mm -hmm. You know that you're being set up. And then you have tremendous pride. Well, I've done this for people. I've done that. I've been taken advantage of. I've been abused. I've been hurt. After all I've done, after everything I've given, after everything I've sown, everything every person I've sown, observed, rather, you start going through that whole process, and you literally, okay, he puffs you up on that pride. And when, okay, and that's when the fall starts. And we think the fall shows up in the flesh immediately. No, the fall shows up in the flesh when you end up in this place. You said you fell from godly fear. You're starting to fall from all of your standards, principles, and, and, and uh, structure in God. You start falling into all of these uh, things. When you talked about thinking you're above everybody, thinking, you know, you got these false prophetic idols that begin to start speaking to you. So the fall doesn't mean that people in your life will know. Because she often preached that Saul fell before his haughtiness caused destruction. And it was a long time. And so before you get to the to the place of destruction, that haughtiness causes that pride to literally be etched in your makeup to the point that it does become the idol that speaks to everything in your life. We talked about that yesterday about how you end up okay. It begins, we talked about that yesterday, how, you know. Well, the idol becomes your prophet. It becomes your prophet. It literally does prophesy to you um, about everything in your life. And then when you're a prophet, your makeup is already prophetic, so it's easy for you to kind of slip in and out of those things and not realize that the pride can literally create a whole room of false idols that you go to. And it's usually when you take a hit. It's usually when you're in a blow. It's usually when you go through something. We talked about our warriors yesterday a little bit. If I can just say this and I'll be done. Um, we talked about what happens when you take a blow and you fall into pain. Mm-hmm. Because, see, when you take a soul blow and you go into pain, you have to. She said this and meet the Holy Spirit. She said, I'm telling you all, when you take those hits, you've got to be quick to repent and deal with it. Yeah. Prophet Pat may remember because she was back there in the LBI with us, and we were in class, and she said, you have to be swift to repent. And you're like, well, you know, well, of course. But you, you, and we think swift to repent. Okay, Jesus, I'm sorry. And whatever. No, swift to deal with mm-hmm. how you're going to uh, uh, handle that pain and that blow and where it's going to go and what's going to happen in your life. If it's not, it's easy. Okay, for the enemy to come, we talked about this with the mysticism because, you know, you write some amazing things, but it's easy for the enemy to come and give you your self-delusion. So how he repairs you, his form of deliverance is to to give you a self-delusion. When you start in self-aggrandizement, it's delusions of grandeur. God's going to do God's gonna do it for you. He's going to get every person. He's going to blow down that person that yes. just hurts you. And it becomes a monster. And you're waiting for the vindication. And you so believe in God that you begin to alter everything in your life around that word, around that retaliation, that vindication, that hurt, that pain, because you're the one. They, they don't see it yet, but you're the one God's going to show them. He's going to show them you're great, you're amazing, that they were wrong about you. It can become a real idol. And you know what? That's when you birth your hero consciousness. God's your hitman and your hero. Woo! And you are the victim that's going to be rescued by God because of your pain. Exactly. And we don't often know that. You know, one of the I've, I've de- de- dealt with this, I've developed this, and it's really hard to have a doctrinated Christian or an academic Christian get this. It's really difficult because your brain is over um, is over informed and over developed 
so that you, even your heart has to go through three years to get to you. David sinned three years before. It took three years for David to say, I can't believe I did that. I really did that to God? And now I'm causing my people to be famished? I mean, it took three years. And, and, and when it came out, I'm going to end it today because we're going to do a little bit of questions, but it took three. Can you hear me three years? Three years between him and And this is what he said. God had to literally famish his land for him to want to even think of it. That means for three years he just talked to God about it. And for three years, God waited for him to say, man, this is, that's what Psalm, see, Psalm 51 is that three-year period. And so he said, Lord, they're fasting. Let me tell you, they have, the drought. Nathan comes, that's what happens, forgive me, Nathan comes, and Nathan starts telling him, and gives him a nice little parable, the friend and the lamb was getting nice, but give him the parable, and, 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 and again, that bias we talked about, David is in pain, how dare you? This is horrible. Who did that? Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.